Welcome to the podcast arm of the Redeemed Christian Church of God, Peculiar People's Parish, based in Regina, Canada. Our mandate is pursuing His purpose, pronouncing His power, and proclaiming His praise. You can subscribe to our podcast channel today, so you never miss an episode of our podcasts. Be blessed by this teaching. Sundays and in our collaborations with one another, in our reasoning with one another. But this evening, in fulfilling the mandate of building us physically up, we've come to have a thinking together, to reason together. The Bible says, come, let us reason together. And this evening, we've come with two guests. And I'll do a little introduction of their bios. Um, first is Dr. Emeka Okochi. Um, few of you have met him before. Um, he has a bachelor's degree. He has a, a bachelor's degree in industrial chemistry from the great University of Lagos. <laughs> <laughs> Greater Cockites. I must confirm I must confess Oh it's not great if it's greater cockite. I must confess um, I tried getting into a cock a over a couple of years. Somehow <laughs> somehow they did not admit me. And apart from schooling in Lagos, he schooled in Europe as well. He attended Chalmers University of Technology in Sweden for his master's. And as someone that is passionate about continuous improvement, he decided to study again when he arrived in Regina. And he wrote a bachelor's, um, a PhD in environmental systems engineering from the University of Regina. He's someone that is also big in community and building people up. Um, he was the past president of the Multicultural Council of Saskatchewan. And he has since been serving as director as well. He was a mayoral candidate for the city of Regina in 2012 civic elections. And that's something that... <laughs> And coincidentally, the church also had been talking about how Christians and people of faith should get involved in politics. So all of those questions that we normally ask ourselves and we elongate church program, you can, you can ask him now because he has a first-hand experience actively. Um, he's a board member of AfriNet. And he's also a member of the African-Canadian Network. The profile is so long, if I keep reading it, we probably will take more time. So please jam your heads together and welcome off stage, Dr. Ebeka Koshi.
All right, my turn. <laughs> good evening, everybody, and welcome. And um, good evening to those joining us online as well, whatever platform you're watching on. Um, so I will have the honor and privilege of introducing our other guest, Catherine Pollack. Um, yeah, so to his points, all those political questions about how do I join politics, feel free to raise them. It just so happens that both of our guests have been candidates before. So, um, <laughs> and Catherine has run Fred Rally, so um, if you have questions at that level as well, feel free to, that's not the focus, but anyway, so. Catherine. Catherine Polak is currently the chair and CEO of the Public Service Commission. Um, yes. She was born and raised in Saskatchewan and is thrilled to have had the opportunity to come back to the family farm after living in Ontario, Montreal, and Calgary for many years. Catherine's career trajectory is anything but traditional. And I should say that for me, when I first met her personally, that was one of the things that really um, I found very interesting and intriguing about her. As a young adult, she followed her passion for dance, working as a professional dancer in ballet, contemporary, and jazz for over 12 years. While in Calgary, she transitioned into the oil and gas sector, eventually specializing in land acquisition and administration. She returned to Saskatchewan with her young family in 2008 and began expanding her career focus to include community and indigenous engagement, government relations and communications in the private sector. After completing um, her, her MBA, she began her work in the public sector. Catherine has served as Assistant Deputy Minister of Energy and Resources, which is where I met her. Um, You know, a quick story about that. I don't think I've ever shared this with you, but um, I remember I just joined in at the time and I was taxed with something that, at that point, I don't know if anybody had done it yet. And they said, okay, we have this new assistant deputy minister who wants to keep everyone informed of what's going on within the ministry. And so I showed up at this meeting. I was told, oh, you have to do a presentation. And then I listened to her speak and I was wondering, wow, who is she, you know? Um, some of us might get this joke, but she didn't look like she was um, like within the typical work culture with the way she looked in terms of her outfits and all that. Yes, it was very vain. I was thinking about what she was wearing. <laughs> <laughs> what do you guys think I was going to talk about? One very big nugget. No, they are the ones holding the nuggets today. <laughs> it was about the outfits, but I figured to be beautiful, to be this intelligent, to be this commanding of a room. I want to be like that, so. All right. Um, and she's also been Chief Procurement Officer with Saks Builds and Procurement, and now currently serves as the Chair of the Public Service Commission. Catherine is a believer in the power of the individual, combined with the collective of the community, to overcome adversity, to find our unique calling, and to leave an impact in the world around us. She believes that by leveraging our unique gifts and talents, we can ha carve a meaningful and rewarding path for our lives. So ladies and gentlemen, join me in welcoming Catherine Pollack to stage.
going first? Uh, yes, please. Okay. Awesome. All right. So tonight, um, so there are some questions that we have previously um, collected. However, if you do have any question in the house, um, feel free to write them down and pass them over to Mr. Coyote at the back. Um, he's waving. Yes. Um, and he will collect the questions and hand them in. Um, but um, we'll continue with some of the questions that we've had and collected previously. Uh, so let's start from the very beginning. Um, and I'll start with you, um, Catherine. You're currently the PSC chair. Um, as far as public service goes, at least provincially, that's the number one place uh, position, I think, maybe. Maybe except for the DM to the premier. Yeah. <laughs> um, so tell us uh, what that journey looks like. I know we talked about it in your bio a little bit from dance to this point. What has that looked like? Yeah, um, first let me just say thank you so much uh, for inviting me and it's an honor to sit here next to you. So uh, thank you. Um, as you said, Adam, my journey has been anything but typical. Um, and you know, oh, I, I think when I think about how did I get from there to here, um, I like to think of it as pulling on the red threads. And I think about red threads as those little um, peaks of interest that you get when you're doing something, you, you know, or you hear something and you think, oh, I'd like to know a little more about that. Or that's a really interesting thing. I'm going to go find a book on that. Or I think the other red threads are those things that you're doing when you realize you've lost track of time. So you put your head down and you start doing a thing and you think it's been half an hour and you look at the clock, it's been four hours. Those to me are red threads. And when I look back on my career, um, I realize that it's the red threads that got me where I am. Because certainly, you know, starting out a, in a career as a dancer <laughs> didn't seem very logical that I would end up you know, that first transition was um, in oil and gas, working with landowners. But I go back to my upbringing, and I grew up on a farm in Saskatchewan. And what do you do when you go to your neighbor's house, your neighbor farmer's house? You sit at the kitchen table and you drink coffee, or your mom and dad drink coffee, and you sit there going, okay, can I go now? Um, but when the opportunity um, presented itself for me to step into those roles and I had the chance to, as an adult, sit down at the kitchen table with uh, landowners and talk about really important but really hard issues, I realized I, I loved that. And, and for me, that's about human connection and building meaningful relationships and, um, and also telling stories, right? So part of my role I always felt was um, translating the story of the farmers to, you know, the company um, so that we could really understand the issues that, that we were being faced with. And so going back again to my dance career, for me, art is about telling stories. It's about processing complex emotions. And that's a lot about what was happening at those kitchen tables, complex emotions. And so moving into leadership roles, you know, to me, that's all about serving others, lifting other people up, um, helping people move through their career journey and their life journey. So, um, you know, when I think about the question of how did I get from there to here, it's putting together those pieces of the things that really 
you know, drew my interest and pulled out my passion in life. Thank you. That's great. And Mecca, you'll answer the same question and he'll tell you if there's anything else he wants to add. But before you even get into that, there are a number of things that she mentioned here. The red threads. You know, we started off with um, Pastor Lucky asking a question about, asking us a question. So I'll be throwing out questions. You learn from hearing answers, but I believe you learn much more by asking questions. You know, what is your occupation? So now next question for you is what is your red, red thread? Right? What is your red thread? You know, she talked about the things that you're passionate about that you pull out from, and then she talked about opportunities. What are opportunities that have been presented before us, right? And then even just seeking to build meaningful relationships. I'm just trying to help us summarize some of those things, you know, um, building relationships. So what relationships are you walking past on that you can leverage and start to build? I'm sure you hear some of these words start to really come out more. And then final leadership, to get into leadership is service. So. Those are key things that I just want to highlight, and thank you so much for sharing. Uh, thank you for that. Um, um, Dr. Maker, your journey is a little bit different. Uh, not from the farm, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to hear your story as well. Uh, she mentioned something really important. You, there are things that you hear or see by the person, and then you'll be like, oh, I need to know more about that and then you dig deep, and then you learn. Um, you love education. You love learning. What's your journey like? Thank you. Uh, before I um, go into the discussion, I do want to spend some time to, again, thank you, Catherine, for joining us. Um, it's great to be on this panel with you. And I want to thank Pastor Shaba and, and the church. Um, you know, <laughs> thank you. I mentioned this, Pastor Shaba, and I, I think I need to say this, but I thank you for your generosity, for the hospitality you've shown, um, for the honor you've shown me, because um, I've talked in different places around the world, but never been welcomed the way I have been by this church. And it may seem little, but as you've honored me, God will honor you. As a church, as, your, as families, as individuals, I want to thank um, my dear brother, Mr. Yelami, um, brother Akinwole, um, you know, brother Leslie, you know, just um, got here this afternoon, showed up at my door with this big basket, and I'm like, wow, my wife is like, what was happening? <laughs> I felt like I was an ambassador on, uh, on a trip. On I told them, you know, so I do want to thank you. I think it's very important for me to thank you, Pastor Shaba. Thank you very much. It, it talks about a lot of. Um, Things you know, it, it tells you what this church is all about. So I, I, I thank you for that, um, and God will honor you all in Jesus' name. Amen. So to your question, you asked me uh, three fundamental principles, and I want to, I want to share this with you. One or two principles, um, which have guided me. Uh, I know you're people of faith. Um, my story is not different from yours. You know, and there are three principles I learned very early in my life, and which I've held on to. I'm going to share that today. I'll start from Matthew 5:44. And it says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to shine, his son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. That's the first principle. This is God's principles, not mine. Okay? So the first thing is that God looks upon the earth. Everybody, he gives us equal opportunities. 
I know as children of God, we have this mindset that we should be the ones in charge of everything. It's all ours. We have access to everything, right? And then when you look to the left and to the right, you see unbelievers who have access to extreme wealth, extreme knowledge, extreme power, and you ask yourself, but God, this is not right. No. They've tapped into something. The same principles are available to everyone. So that's the first thing I want to lay down as a principle. The second principle for me, which I learned very early, which has helped me, I'm going to Ecclesiastes 10. It says, whatever your hands finds to do, do it with all your might. From the realm of the dead, I'm reading from the international version because it's very simple English, right? Where you are going, there's neither working, nor planning, nor knowledge, nor wisdom. And it goes to verse 11 and it says, having this in mind, I, I just want you to understand, those two verses are not different. So having that first verse I've read in mind, I have seen something else under the sun, that the race is not to the swift. So if you are the kind of person that applies yourself to whatever your hands are found, are found to do, that just understand this, that under the sun, Solomon in all his wisdom saw something that was really just extraordinary but simple, right? That the race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned, but time and chance happens to them all, okay? So time and chance happen to every one. And what is time and chance when you look at those translations? If you go to the Hebrew, the word time comes from the Hebrew called eth, the word eth. And that word means opportunity. The word chance comes from the Hebrew pega, which means impact. So this is what they're saying. I'm going to tie those two verses. As you go through life, you will have things to do. Certain things will come to you. It may not be where you want to be or things you want to do. If you apply your heart to those things, there will come a time for you, an opportunity for you to make an impact. And that if you have been in that place where you have taken those things and you have been faithful in those little things, that you will find out that the race is not to the swift. So you may be at the back of the line, you'll find yourself in front of the line. Okay? That you may be the weakest in the race, you look around you, and there are people way more intelligent than you. Okay, so you can look at all the degrees I did. I was not the smartest person in class. I know when you say PhD, everybody's like, ooh. PhD was 99% perspiration, 1% inspiration, I tell people. Smarter people than me dropped off of their PhD class, right? So that's not the reason. But that, that was the principle that whatever your hands find to do, do with all your might. The opportunity will find you. But you have to be awake to recognize it, okay? And the impact will come through that. Second, that's the second principle. Third one is still the same thing. It's still the same principle. I go to Colossians 3, just to reinforce that. 324, Colossians 324. Since you know that you receive an inheritance, okay, let me go back, sorry. Colossians 3, I'll start from 23. I think that's where it is. It says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. So the same principle as working for the Lord, not for human masters, Okay. And in, 20, in verse 24 of that Colossians 3, it says, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Now, let me explain to you. It didn't say that you receive a wage. It says you receive an inheritance. There are two differences, right? 
Inheritance is something that endures through generations. You start to tap into something that is deeper than just the dollars you see in your bank account. But those are the principles that have guided me. So when you talk about this, how did I, my story is not different from yours. I want to encourage you tonight. I came here on a cold February day. I landed here, I schooled in Sweden, I came here, got a scholarship to do my PhD, and I'm like, where the heck am I? There was a snowstorm, it was minus 50-something, university was short. In my whole, I've been here for almost uh, two decades, that was the first time in almost 18 years, right, I've been here, that the university has been short. And that's the day I came to this country. That's the very day I came to this country. Yeah, never forget. So it was not, I didn't know, I had just one friend, we went to New York together. I didn't have any connections. You asked me how I, I my first job I, I got, I applied for it. They had nothing to do with what I was doing. You know, they are looking for a business development officer in, a, in an organization that deals in infrastructure, right? I wrote them a resume, a cover letter, and please ask one of the things. We're talking about those things anyways, some of the questions you have, but. And I was in Toronto at a friend's wedding when they called me. And they asked me to come for an interview. I said, I can't be there because I'm in Toronto. But if you give me a few days when I'm done, I will love to come back and interview. And they gave me the opportunity, but that's where the whole thing started. And every time I went into a job, it was those little opportunities. It was just a temporary job. But whatever my hands found to do, I did it with all my heart. And through those workings, serving as unto the Lord, I built relationships with people. And someone asked about networking, we'll talk about that, right? And through those networks, the next opportunities came. I saw opportunities, I went for them, not knowing anybody. But that has been the trade. So I just wanted to mention that, and I was, because I know I'm conscious of time, but just wanted to lay down those three principles. That's what has led me to this. And it hasn't been just straight line, I'll tell you, you know, there'll be times when questions will come, there have been dips, I've lost jobs, you know, I've been without jobs. I've applied for jobs they haven't gotten. Amen, so I'll stop there for now. Thank you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, since you mentioned network, um, I would like to ask Catherine, um, it's often said that most people believe that your net worth is um, it's a measure of your network. Um, I don't know where that um, statistics to support that is, but it, it appears to be true, especially out there. How much value do you place on network? It's a great question, a lot. Um, you know, I think that everything in life comes down to relationships. And that's how I think about the network. You know, and I think the word network or networking has kind of gotten co-opted sometimes, right? Where it's this uh, almost cheesy thing, right? Where people go to an event and you're shaking hands and handing out your business cards. And for me, that's not networking. For me, networking is building meaningful relationships that have um, some kind of I guess a benefit really to both parties and the way that I think you really explore that is 
you know, getting to know a person and understanding what their needs are, where are they at in life, and how can you help that person? And then, you know, usually that's reciprocated. Um, and so I, I do believe in the power of network um, in terms of when it's defined by those meaningful relationships. I think it's even more prevalent in a place like Saskatchewan where you know you're really only separated maybe by one degree of, of separation and so um, I think when you explore and build a network really thinking about how you can help others um, and then have the courage to ask others to help you when you're in times of need I think that's really for me what a network means and how it can really help support you in your growth as a human being here on earth. Can I, can I just maybe even, you know, um, add to that a little bit is um, for, and maybe Mekatsu you can add to this, is that for a number of people, especially, I mean, if you look at this crowd, most people here didn't grow up here, didn't, um, you know, and like Mecca mentioned in his story, um, showed up here and just knew one person. How do you go from zero network to building a large network? How does that happen? And especially with regards to helping people navigate their career path, what does that look like? Sure, and of course I'm answering these from, from my perspective, which is, you know, different. Um, and, uh, you know, I've gone places and not known anyone and had to, I guess, reinvent myself a little bit. Um, and I do, I think a lot of it comes down to that word I used uh, of courage, which is putting yourself out there and, and going out and searching for your community. So through your church or through um, organizations that you can get involved in, but having the courage to, I guess, put yourself out there um, and, and start to find those groups that will, will help to support you. Um, you know, I, I will say, despite the fact that I grew up here, I found it really hard <laughs> when I came back. Um, I always say people in Saskatchewan are very friendly and they're very established with their networks. And so it takes a while to, I would say it took a good 10 years for me to really, really feel like I had um, the network around me that I needed and wanted, but it was, um, you know, back to the career conversation, I think the network is an incredibly important part of navigating your career and, and finding those other opportunities. Um, I think both through, you know, the established relationships that you have and people being willing to open the door for you, not just open the door, but maybe put their hand <laughs> through and say, come with me, I'm going to help you. Um, you know, but I, I think also using that network as, you know, your mentors or building around you what some people call a board of advisors, right? Where you have people around you that you know you can go to for guidance and advice. Thank you. Now that context with, it took her 10 years, is very important because um, some of us, are locked in this mindset that because I'm new or because I don't look a certain way, 
it makes it difficult to build networks, right? So it's possible that you're born and raised here and if you refuse to have the courage to put yourself out there, you still would have nothing to build on or to build with, you know? So I just thought, think that that's a very good context to just throw out there. So, Mecca. Oh. Yeah, that, that's a very beautiful context. Um, we would like to hear from your perspective as well, because she mentioned perspective. Um, um, most of the audience are regular migrants like you. We would like to hear from your perspective. What was it like building those networks? Katrina is right, and I think that's the principle. It's, um, <laughs> networking is about investing in people. I just want to say it's not just uh, um, you get to know somebody and it's not superficial, it's really investing in people. Um, and Katrin hit the nail on the head, it's, it, it takes time. You know, so through the opportunities I've had, the, um, one, one thing I want to tell us is that we get into our comfort zone very easily. So we come in, we, we just gravitate towards our own, we look alike, we think alike, we eat the same foods and all that. I think one of the things that helped me was when I moved to Sweden, we had a very international setting. And many of you that come into school, you have that as well. Within your class, make friends connect outside your, your group, right? So you see some of us, we are always in our comfort zone, in our shell. You don't interact with the person from Paraguay or with the, the lady from Canada. You know, we always, because they're different, right? It's normal. It goes always. People are always, you know, happy to be within their own. But I think just even asking somebody, hey, let's go for coffee. Tell me about your story, right? People are always happy to tell you about themselves and happy to tell you about their interests. And you start to form friendships and you invest, you know, in, in time with getting to know them. You invest in, you know, let me, let's, oh, let me get you a cup of coffee, right? It doesn't, have, it doesn't take billions to build a network, right? But those kinds of little things have helped. I've done it. Uh, getting into the workspace as well, looking for people that can be mentors like, like Catherine mentioned, but also sponsors. And I think that's very important because there are two different things. Mentors will pass on knowledge to you within a certain field, but sponsors are the ones that get into a space that you're normally not in. It could be at the leadership table, and they ensure that the leaders know about this bright young prospect in this organization that is doing some really cool things. So you need to identify who those sponsors are and spend time investing in those kinds of relationships and building them. You know, and it does take time to build relationships, but Doors were open to me because I connected. I remember very early in my career, my first vice president role was at 29, 28, 29. And I looked in the boardroom and I looked around and I was all around me, we are middle-aged white guys, you know, with their, with their white hair, experienced in, you know, various fields, strong roots, like Catherine said, you know, they've, and you see them all the time. They are, they, they serve on the same boards <laughs> across, across the, the, the province or even um, the country. And, and I was just there and, and I was the only young kid, black guy in the midst of this guys. But somebody opened the opportunity for me. And it was a man who looked very different from me. Older, different generations, different experiences but believed that I had something to do, something to provide, something to give, and gave me opportunities that really opened doors for me. He would send me to Toronto to go and talk on behalf of the organization at conferences, right? But that's the kind of, but you have to get some of, you have to really 
spend time and they find some of those sponsors and establishing those kinds of relationships. But that was one of the things that I, uh, hopefully I, I was able to do that helped me very early in my career. Awesome, thank you. So we're gonna talk about challenges a bit here because um, I don't want to believe that it was a smooth ride, all right? Um, starting with the minus 50 experience. <laughs> all right, and then just going, I don't think, you know, the, the, the way up definitely had its challenges. Now, I, in answering the question of some of the challenges that you've experienced in navigating your careers to being where you are today, I want you both to help me create to very in, include two very specific um, to speak to generally, but also speak to very specific groups. Catherine, from your point, um, so Catherine is also a mom, all right. And I should mention that I remember one time she talked about going to um, her kids' um, sports, and I and I kept thinking like, well, okay, there's kids, there's sports, there's all those other things. And I even when we were having the conversation to book this weekend. You know, your, your response to me was, let me check my calendar and make sure I think my kids have something that weekend. <laughs> you know? But let me check to see. Again, I'm deliberately throwing all these things out there, you know. Some of us, we tell ourselves some conversations. Oh, I have kids. They're the excuse. They're the reason I am not building as I should. All right, so Catherine is a mom. You're a woman. And, but you're also a woman in leadership. So in talking about the challenges, I also want you to help add on that additional layer of experience, the intersection there, right? And Mecca, I want you to also help add that intersection of, um, of being an immigrant and what that journey looks like in navigating your way to the top in your career. You're good. <laughs> You're a smart cookie. Um, you know, I think when I think about challenges in my career, I'm going to go back to the first part of my career journey as a dancer because I, I think about that a lot in, in that it gave me this incredible opportunity to build grit. So I don't know how many people have, uh, here have heard about the concept of grit, which is a combination of purpose and passion, or sorry, passion and perseverance. Um, which is really uh, also associated with the achievement of a long-term goal. And so, you know, when I found this passion for dance, which was a lot about, you know, movement, but as I said, was also about communicating stories and processing really challenging emotional experiences, um, you know, there was the passion for that and this uh, hope and purpose, which is really uh, what's underneath perseverance, that helped me get through some really tough times. That a career like that is um, very challenging. You get rejected a lot. In fact, you get rejected far more than you get accepted. Um, and you, get, you face pretty intense criticism that is really easy to take on personally, because it is often addressed to your body or your interpretation of something, a movement or something. Um, and so you're very rarely doing something right. You're mostly doing it wrong. You very rarely get the job. You usually don't get the job. And so I feel like that career, you know, not only was it very uh, rewarding on a spiritual and personal level, not financially. <laughs> um, 
but it allowed me to build, um, I would say, a thick skin. But for me, that wasn't about putting up armor. It was about learning what's about someone else or a situation versus is that really about me? And so learning through that journey um, how to not take on everything personally. And I think I really took that into um, my kind of career 2.0, as I like to call it, um, where you know I often found myself uh, at a table with old white men. <laughs> um, so I was a not so old white woman, um, but you know, feeling a little bit out of place um, and having the courage because of that grit to, you know, when the opportunity was there or even when it wasn't to speak up and take my seat um, at the table. But, you know, to, to the point about being a mom, I would say, you know, facing some um, challenging decisions, I guess, along the way of, you know, where I could go versus where I couldn't go, knowing what I wanted for my family and how I wanted to show up for my kids, um, but also having the support of my husband. So I would say, you know, an important part for him and I in terms of making all of this work was coming up with an arrangement that maybe wasn't very traditional, <laughs> but worked for us so that you know, I could maybe um, focus more on my career at certain points, knowing that he would be there for the kids. But then also making the tough choices sometimes to say, there's a really important work event that maybe has some networking pieces that, you know, sometimes if the men can go because they don't have to be with their kids, I'm gonna miss out on that opportunity, which sometimes leads to missing out on a different kind of opportunity at work, but being okay with that. Um, it's been a, a challenge from time to time, and I would say uh, partly to, um, not that I worry a lot about what other people think about me, but it's hard not to um, sometimes have those thoughts as a mom who's been very career focused and you know moved up the corporate ladder, as it were, um, when a lot of the people in my community, a lot of the, the women have made very different choices um, and being okay with that, so. Thank you. And um, I love that, be okay with that. Okay, thank you. Um, that speaks to me very personally. <laughs> so Mecca, when you're answering the question, I also want you to just throw in the dynamic of what even that looks like with even the family. And the reason is because for a lot of us, the dynamic of raising our families and running careers, um, you know, for most people, at least in Nigeria where I'm from and I think you're from as well, um, it's different. And I'll give you a very good example as to why I say that. When I was with one child in Nigeria, I had two domestic help. <laughs> and I'm here with two kids, no domestic help, all right? I'm lucky and I'm blessed. I have a very supportive husband who understands and appreciates my drive and passion for wanting to climb my career. But I also understand that's not the experience for everybody. So I want you to also add on, when you're answering this question, what that looks like in terms of impact to family and the need for support from your partner, either as a man or as a woman. 
I mean, my family dynamics is different. I don't have kids, so I don't have some of the complexes that Catherine would um, experience. And I think it's very important that people understand that um, every family situation is different. Even within the office, when you're dealing with people, they have different dynamics. There's the single mother, there's the, the folks that don't have kids, there are people that have, um, you know, have a very complex family dynamics, maybe from broken homes. So it is something that, yes, you're right, um, that family dynamics impacts. So I haven't had some of those um, challenges on the family front. Um, of course, I've seen my wife struggle through her career because I think one of the things I've learned is really, um, as a black person, of course, you know, reality is that you come into a very different um, environment and you struggle to try to sort of try to break in. And, and for those of us that came in many years ago, uh, that definitely was, um, even more prominent in those, in those days, right? Because not many of us around, like I said, you're going to a boardroom and, or you're going to offices where there are thousands, thousands of people and you're the only black person there, right? Uh, things are changing a little bit now, but I do recognize, and, and that's one of the things that has shaped my career, is I recognize the struggle that women, and most especially women of color, they go through. It's not just, they're not just women, but they're also women of color. And, and Sometimes it feels like a double whammy, um, you know, having to navigate the challenges that come with your, your person. So I, I've seen it firsthand through my wife and, and the courage for her to climb. She's also doing very well in her career, but part of the reason we left Regina was because she needed a chance to, to advance in her career. And despite way smarter than me, she was at the very top of her career pretty fast after we left school and had to leave all that to come to Canada. But within Canada, despite the fact that people saw how good she was, tried and tried and tried, but never got the opportunity to break through. Until one day I saw a job advertisement in Saskatoon, and I said, you know, baby, this is a job for you, you have to apply. And this was a woman who had sacrificed, of course, for me. I was doing my, so I was doing my PhD while I was working. So I had, I would go to, so one of our challenges, right? That was part of our family dynamics. I would go to work, eight to five. After work, I would go to the lab and do my PhD research at the University of Regina. And then on the weekends, I run my long-term experiments because I had to run some experiments that you know, took days. So I would time it for a Friday evening to start and then run through to get enough data till Sunday night. And what did my wife do? She would come to the lab and we had an inflatable bed where we used to sleep in the lab. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but that's, you have to understand um, the story because everybody looks at the plaque, the, um, the, the plaque on your door and says, oh, director, but don't understand that <laughs> it was not always that way, right? Um, you know, so when it was, you know, after going all through this and she had a chance to, that's why we left Regina. Regina has been my home. It's, it's great to be home. This is where I, I formed my strong networks. I, I have to leave all those things to go to Saskatoon. I'm, I'm, I'm new like, like Catherine. I'm trying to, like Catherine said when she came back, so I'm new in Saskatoon, don't know too many people, and I'm trying to rebuild some of those, rebuild a new network there, right? Um, but those are some of the challenges. And, and so why I'm saying that is because her experience, and I'm glad to see she is flourishing, which is why I would not leave Saskatoon right now, because I see she's flourishing. The idea was that she would spend a couple of years there and maybe look back to Regina. We did the back and forth for a few, um, for a few years. And in pandemic hits and everything, she says, look, I'm not coming back. And this, She's doing well, why would she come back? So that was the decision to move, right? And why I say this is because that has shaped who I am as a leader. I'm very passionate 
to support women of color. Anywhere I see them in the office, I make sure that they have an environment where they feel safe. I make sure that they have, they know that they can buy for opportunities and they're giving, and not just women of color, but women, but mostly women of color. You know, and I make no apologies for that because I understand, because I've seen it firsthand, the kinds of struggles that they go through, right? Whether it's from, or oh, you don't have Canadian experience. And this is, it makes me laugh because I, I've always said this, you know, we have to change the mentality. And as leaders, I hope that, um, that you can also take this back to those leadership tables. Because one of the things I've done is to challenge openly this concept of Canadian experience. What makes the experience in Canada better than the experience from other parts of the world? Canada is a great country, and I understand that there's certain courses and certain um, professions that require you to, to show and demonstrate, whether it's engineering or medicine. Or, we understand that, right? But create a, a, you know, a level playing field. Let people come in and do the exams. If they pass, then let them, let them practice, right? But you know, when you're not in any of these professional courses and you still try to say, you know, what, 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 what kind of experience makes strategy in Australia or in Nigeria different from strategy here in Canada? Some of the folks I've interviewed over the course of my career from other countries have excelled in the way they have presented knowledge of certain areas. I've had extraordinary work experiences across multinationals that some of the candidates who, whether white or black, whatever the color, have grown up here, have not had those kinds of exposures, right? So the Canadian experience is important and it's good. That's great. But it doesn't mean that it's only good experience. And that's why as leaders, we have to challenge those exclusionary, um, you know, concepts that have no basis in, in real, you know, in, in terms of recruitment or retention. I mean, anyway, so those are the kinds of things that shape my, you know, in terms of challenges that shape my, my thinking as a leader. Thank you. Thank you for that um, response. It's touched on one of the questions. There are other parts of the questions that are B and C, but before I get back to you on that, just put a hold on that. Um, I want to believe we have a few people with questions in the house that you would like to ask. Oh, okay. <laughs> that you would like to ask. Let's make it an interactive session. Um, I'm Dami. Thank you, Mecca. Thank you, Catherine. Um, I wanted to ha ask a question regarding networks. Um, I personally have a problem with cashing out on my network because I just feel like I'm taking advantage. Um, I don't want to seem too pushy. How would you recommend or what is the right way to go about um, cashing out on those networks. So if I need help, I have a problem asking for help. So when you say cashing out on your network, I... help add some context to that, all right? So um, one time I tried to reach out to a network to say, hey, I'm referring someone for a job. I saw a job at your organization. 
this person is great, and here's why I think they might be a good fit. Um, just so you know, I'm going to ask them to apply. And, and the person thought I was asking them to just hand the job over to that person. Now, that kind of experience made me, um, in my early years of trying to just navigate my network, and to her, borrow her words, cash out on my networks, it made me a little, okay, how do I, if, is it a communication problem? Is it a, a perception problem? Why would this person think that I'm asking for a favor to say, just give this person a job as opposed to, hey, I know you, I'm just putting a referral for this person. So that's maybe kind of like an example. And then being comfortable to then reach out to say, hey, network, help when I need it. Dami, I, I knew what, I just wanted to clarify. So <laughs> thanks. I just want to make sure I understood exactly um, where you're coming from. And thanks for, for that clarification. I, again, when you look at your networks, you're going to have different levels of relationship. I've done the same thing. I've, I've advanced resumes. I've, where I worked, and I've been in places where I've worked, uh, not in my current job, where I didn't have, um, of course, you, you, don't, you don't create jobs every day in your department, or you, know, you may not have responsibility to create jobs or, or to hire people, right? And there are times when you have the opportunity, or you, know, or you have influence enough to at least you know, pass on a resume. And there are people that would you know, not acknowledge even that. Um, I always make it clear, I'm not asking you to give them a job, but if this is a good fit with what you're looking for, you know, I, I would encourage you to reach out to them, right? Those kinds of things, but make it clear. You know, but there are folks that I know that are very close, right? That you've really invested, and, and that's why I said, like, look at this, and you invest in people. And, and don't invest with a, with a desire to gain something. It's really my mentality, and that's the way I've, I've done this. I've really, when I say networks, I actually invest in people, you know, um, that are junior to me, as well as people that are senior to me, as well as people that are on the same, um, you know, um, you know, career, in the career level, right? So, so it's not about really about um, just what I need from them down the road. It's really about building those relationships and. Um, just making my environment better, doing what I can do to make people feel lifted that they're around me, right? So when I talk to junior people, I try to understand what they're going through and, and invest time to support them or speak to somebody that is maybe having a, an off day. That is an investment in a relationship. You don't, know, you don't know where they will be tomorrow. There are people that have stopped me and said, I remember what you did for me. Honestly, I can't even remember. I remember when I was going through this, you did this for me, you know? I was like, oh, I didn't know, and, you know? And then when they hear that, oh, you know, oh, Mecca, you know, uh, so they might speak to somebody that knows, that knew me from a different, you know, encounter, and they says, you know Mecca, right? I'll give you that job. I don't have to, I don't have to be in that. And people tell me, you know, maybe months later when they come across me, right? And it wasn't because I said or did anything. It was because there was something that maybe had happened, I didn't remember, but you invested in that relationship. So yeah, don't be afraid to ask for help when you need help. I just want to say that. Some people will be open to helping you. Some may not be open to helping. And it's okay. But don't let that, you know, deter you, make you bitter. Keep investing in people. Uh, and don't feel that you will necessarily gain something back from that. Because there are people that have shown in my life and honestly, they just moved on. I've never seen them again. When I, when I, I'll, when we will come to probably the political aspect. But I started off my career you know, political career, talking to somebody that I'd met and connected with, you know, and we sat down across the table, and the guy is like, Mecca, you have to do this. This is feasible, we should do this. 
And then from there, we started to build a team of people that I'd never, I'd never met in my life before and who gave their energy and their time. Didn't ask me for one dime. I remember one of my campaign guys, major campaign guys, was having his wedding and was talking about the campaign. I had to tell him, brother, today's your wedding, man. He's a white, he's a white guy, younger than me, guru when it comes to technology. And it was his wedding. I had to be, please, Brad, this is your wedding. Please, no campaign talk. And he was like, no, this is, I got this real cool thing that we're going to roll out next week. I'm like, this is your wedding, right? But he's like, didn't pay him a dime. And at times when you invest in people, it comes around. You know, so I just want to encourage you. So don't be, don't be ashamed to ask for help, right? Um, if you need it. I'll just add something quickly. I'm going to put together a couple threads of things we talked about before, which is um, you mentioned sponsorship, right? And, and sponsorship, I had mentioned earlier that idea of um, not just opening the door, but putting your hand through and helping someone through the door. And so I think, you know, that importance of identifying those people in your life who will be sponsors for you. And I would, they're, they're not few and far between, but I think, um, you know, sometimes I think you know who those people are or who can be. And if you've invested the time in that relationship um, and you know that person well and they know you well, it's easier to have the courage to say, hey, I saw this job posting and I'm really interested in it. Do you know anybody? who works there or, you know, and asking that direct question, I would say, um, again, go back to the Saskatchewan thing where <laughs> most people know somebody who works somewhere um, and, and saying to that person who is going to be a sponsor for you, do you know anybody who works there that you could maybe reach out to? And, um, and it's not just the um, even the referral necessarily, maybe it's making a connection to somebody in that organization who's not as affiliated with that job posting, but who's willing to meet you for coffee. And you can ask them some really strategic questions about, hey, where's the organization going? You know, and, and getting that intel that can really help you in like those next steps to getting forward. So sometimes I think, I know exactly what you mean about cashing in on your network. And it's that piece of being thoughtful, strategic. If you've invested the time and you have a real relationship, then people will, will really want to help you. I think the other piece is being able to identify for your sponsor um, very clearly the value of what you bring to the table. Because it makes it so much easier for the sponsor then to say, okay, I know the right person to put you in touch with, like, and let's go out for coffee together, not maybe just email an introduction, but actually invest the time to do an in-person meeting with you to sort of start creating that new relationship. And to me, that's the power of network, right? Where that one person turns into another relationship, which turns into two more, which turns into five more. There's a question from the back. 
Kickstarter can involve people to kind of build the subscription. And um, I've seen a lot of quality people coming to this part of the world, this province. And we have to tone down our regime. And that is very monitored. And um, it's very painful. So part of the issues we have is where we're coming from, we're not used to having multiple resumes for different roles. So some of us here, we, are, we do 10 applications in a week, minimum. It's very disheartening. It's very unfulfilling. When you have to, yes, it's called functional CV. And you've had to discard things of the value which you are assessed to come into Canada in the first instance. And it's very painful. I've had, gone, I've got, had an interview where I turned down my CV. I've had to do things I've never done before. And if I only got the job, I had to turn it down because there was something in my CV that was questioned and it spoke about my integrity. And a lot of us had to do that. We have masters, we have qualifications, we've risen to different positions in our home country, worked in various countries, and we come down here and those things don't count. We are removing 10 years of our life, we are removing five years of our life. So when I check back now, I've had to delete 2021, I do by month. So some months I've done 20 applications, 15 applications, I'm wondering what's going on. So the question now is this, what works in Canada? Um, go ahead. I, go ahead. Yeah, go. I just want to say I understand because I've been there. That's where I want to start from. I have been there. And, you know, I did say a few things. I don't know if you're here at the beginning when I started and I talked about some of the principles I, I shared at the very beginning. Um, I, I'm going to share some points in my life so that you understand that, um, and the different things that come through my mind as you say that, because that's a very complex um, question, right? Uh, people are going through this experience. I don't want to simplify, you know, the pain that comes through that. I'll say a few things at times. We need to be very strategic in how we apply. So I work in a place. I remember just recently we put out a couple of jobs that were in my department. One person applied for the three, uh, you know, three jobs. And the three resumes were different, right? <laughs> so automatically, because I, I, I'm one of those people that invest a lot of time in recruiting. I'm not the kind of guy that will just leave it to HR to scan your screen resumes, because HR might not necessarily be understand exactly what you're looking for, right? So I'd rather spend time recruiting the right people, because then, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to, because we spend a lot of time, um, you know, we, we spend time, we recruit the wrong people, and then we spend more time trying to get rid of, rid of them. So I'd rather, <laughs> it's true, we, you know, we don't spend time recruiting the right people, and then we spend time trying to get rid of them right now. You know, you know what I'm saying? As leaders. So I, I learned that very, you know, at some point in my career, I'm like, this HR thing doesn't work for me, where I just leave everything to HR and they 
I've always done this where I've had to regret. I said, HR, I want to see all the resumes. I will go through them, and then when I make a determination, I know that these are the, these, are the, these, these ones, and I have a strategy or, you know, with how I go through them. So we'll talk about resumes a little bit, but that for me, on my interview, this guy applying for three different jobs and has three different resumes. It's not strategic, right? It tells me that, who are you? Who are you really, right? So automatically, you've already, you realize the advantage. And I understand that because I, I want to tell you, I've been here for, like I said, about 18 years, 19 years, almost 20 years. I've lost a job. After I ran for office, I was let go from my job. I was vice president at the Economic Development Agency uh, here in Regina. It used to be the Regional, um, Regional, Regional um, Opportunities Commission, which is now the Economic Development Regina, okay? I was let go. For 14 months, I was looking for a job. I had contacts. I knew people, right? I couldn't find a job. I applied to over 600 jobs. I want you guys to know, because when you talk about this, oh, it's not like that. We, we, what you're talking about, I share that with you. I've gone through that, right? You know, and I, I remember times when I was hit, and I'm going to be very raw with you and very real with you. And then my wife, during that time too, she was in a job, they changed CEOs, and the new CEO came in and wanted to bring his own people. So my wife was one of the executives, they laid her off. So both of us, we are out of a job. In the last three months of my 14 months, three of us, we had, two of us, we are home, because my wife had lost her job in those three months. <laughs> and we just looked at ourselves, woke up one day, we just started to laugh. Because <laughs> that's all we could do, either you laugh or you cry, you know. <laughs> so let's laugh. So we've been there. There was no, no, nothing, you know. But um, what I, what I learned through those times is that my source is not from anybody. You know, that's just it's only from God. I remember, I remember hitting the floor, and I said, God, just show me that you've not forgotten me. And then the next, that same day, I'll have like people call me for an interview. I'll have like two phone calls. I won't get the job, but I'm like, at least God, I know God has not forgotten me. <laughs> that was proof enough for me. I got an offer to come work for a company just out of the blues to come and do some, as a vice president, come in and work with them and, you know, do some uh, business development for them. And I, did, I took up that opportunity. They were meant to pay me a certain amount of money. I speak to you today. I worked with them for a number of months. They didn't pay me. They haven't paid me until today. And I, I didn't even bother. You, you said it in Canada. Yes, in Canada. But I didn't even hold back. While I was doing that, one day I just was, again, at that point where I said, God, show me that you've not forgotten me. This is a guy that has a PhD, that has everything, that has been here, that has contacts, I've run for office, I know people. And at times when, when you, know, you get involved in politics and people are, you know, things happen because you got involved in politics, other people that could help you will stay away, right? So you could see that and say that you understand, you learn things, nothing scares me. I want to say this, nothing scares me. I can go into any, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't sit down with leaders and try to, I don't speak from both sides of my mouth. I say what I mean, I'm very clear, I'm very deliberate. If tomorrow you tell me that I should leave, I'm, I, I will leave without fear because I've done it before. God sustained me sustained my family and promoted me. But what I would say is that we need to be very strategic as we apply, you know. And you're right. Apply for the jobs that I know, and I know what it means. At times you have to apply for jobs that may not be what you want at this time. But even in those circumstances, last time I was like, I was ready to go to Edmonton and take up a job at Sobeys. 
before I go on this call. And say, yeah, roll up my sleeve. There is dignity in labor. You can be in that store packing those shelves and somebody notices that you're doing it differently and they start to ask you, who are you? My wife used to sell cars when she came. That was her first job. My first job was selling, the first job I made money from in Canada was selling used textbooks at the University of Regina. It was just a very short-term job, right? Why are you still cars with Dunlop, Ben and Dunlop Ford there? And she was there when she met people and like, something is different about you. Why don't you try this opportunity? Why don't you try this opportunity? And because she worked there, many people that came to this country after, she was able to give them references at Ben and Dunlop Ford and they got jobs and they used that to start their lives. So I want to encourage you, my brother, don't be discouraged, I've been there. I've been there 14 months without a job, without $1 coming into my account. My wife, three months during that time. And when the call came for a job, it came from an unknown source that somebody I had met many years in my life, like Katrina and I crossed paths, we did something. She never forgot that. I told it, and she called me out of the blues. I said, if by, if, if by any chance you're looking for an opportunity, I just got into this role, and I need someone like you to come in from nowhere. And that's how I got the job. So I want to encourage you, whatever your hands find to do, don't look at it little. I know this country can be frustrating, but believe me, we've come a long way from when I came here. There are more opportunities, and when you get an opportunity, give it your all, because you're serving God through that labor, and doors will open up. I promise you, if you have the right mindset about it, the doors of opportunities will go in. There is no way, there is no there is, there is no system where a man can go from being a prisoner to being the prime minister of a nation. Only under God's system. That was it. I, I can't put that. It was, that was a very, very powerful response. Thank you for that. Um, one more question from the audience. Are two hands, so maybe we'll just take both. Okay, we'll take, we'll take us first, and then we'll take you next, ma. Good evening. Um, thank you, Maker, for sharing your story. But my question goes to Catherine. Uh, please um, use the mic. Okay, my question goes to Catherine. Uh, looking at your profile on LinkedIn, I realized that... Um, <laughs> first, it's impressive that you started from dancing, which is a soft skill, and you're able to apply that to the professional world. I also noticed that at some point you were assistant deputy minister with government of Saskatchewan or energy ministry. And from there, you went to the private sector where you were a strategist, and then you came back into the ministry. So coming from back home, the two categories of workers, some people that will be in the same organization and rise to the top. And there were people that would, that like dynamism so much that will migrate from one bank to the other so they can rise to the top. In Saskatchewan, was the appropriate thing. Migrating and jumping from one organization to the other and building streams of diverse network or be in the same industry and do what you find doing diligently to add value to the community and Saskatchewan as a whole. What is the best form of strategy? I love that question. And y'all know I'm gonna add to it, so let me add to it. 
So Mecca, when you were speaking at the very beginning, um, you mentioned the first job you got was temporary. Now, Catherine, I love this question. You probably know why I love the question. Um, and you and I have had a conversation around this one time. And I want to add on the dynamic of, even in that you know, navigation process, it's really where it's not a straight line. Temporary jobs, do they play a role in any of those strategies that she referenced? And what does that look like? Yeah, that is a great question. Um, and I, I don't want to sound like I'm dodging an answer, but I don't think it's one or the other. Um, you know, I've seen a lot of people be very successful sticking with one organization or one industry, if you will, and, and moving up the ladder. Um, and then I've seen examples which are closer to mine where there's, I would call it very strategic moves um, from one industry to another um, that can also move people quite quickly up through the corporate ladder, if you will. So I don't think it, there's a, a specific thing in Saskatchewan. I would say historically, it was very typical in Saskatchewan that people would get in one organization or, for example, in the government of Saskatchewan and you would never leave. You would be there and you would you know, go up that way um, and that it was probably, again, historically harder to move into a large organization at higher levels. I think all of that has changed. Um, and I think, you know, from a leadership perspective, from a hiring manager's perspective, um, personally, and I would say in my network of, of leaders, there is, it's certainly not the case that there is a negative view put on people who've had lots of diverse experience. In fact, from my perspective, I prefer that. I prefer hiring people who've worked in different environments so they can view things from multiple perspectives. Um, and I think to uh, making a, a connection back to some of our conversation earlier on um, leaders valuing Canadian experience. I'm a leader who values international experience because I believe people who have that perspective um, are coming with a lot more ideas and different ways of problem solving. So I think now one thing that I think is uh, valuable is if you make the decision to move from one sector to another or one organization to another, is continuing to find that thing that's, I like to call it your secret sauce. Like what are your unique gifts and talents that you are honing over time into your career? And when I think of what is a career, um, and I love, um, the conversation before we came up here about, you know, the, the pride that we can take in what we do and that we shouldn't be afraid to associate with that. I think of a career as an expression of who I really am. It's that it, it is part of who I am. It's an intrinsic part of who I am that's all aspects of me and it's an ever-growing cumulative expression of me as a unique individual. And so I think if you're thinking about moving um, 
across sectors, across organizations, just continuing to pull on those red threads and become that expert or that person, you know, who is building that expression of themselves. And I think those are the things that transcend organizations and sectors, you know, and thinking of, of um, those people who you see in Sobeys stacking the shelves and you know that that person will be excellent at whatever they do. I've had that experience with a woman at Brood Awakening. I like to go there for coffee quite a lot on Vic and Hamilton and there is a server there who I, I went up to her one day and I said, I will hire you to do any job because I have never seen someone serve so well and care so much about other people. And to me, that's the ultimate expression of, of um, a person I want to work with, a person I want in my organization. And so I think, I think of a woman like that, and actually, she's quite happy working at the coffee shop, she told me, and she's uh, getting her master's in education, and so she has a, a path laid out. Um, so unfortunately, I wasn't able to hire her, because I would have on the spot. Um, but I think, you know, her career will, will continue to be an expression of who she really is, no matter where she goes, and she will be incredible and excel because of that. Sorry, so I know there's one more question, but the other dynamic of that, where people get scared to maybe, if the next opportunity before them is something temporary, right, and then they're trying to chase something more permanent, what does that look like and how can they leverage opportunities that are temporary? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and I think temporary roles are really common right now, um, especially in this, the, the, job market is really hot the economy here is firing on all cylinders but everybody's a little nervous about what's around the corner so i think um, that's part of why we're seeing a lot of temporary jobs i think temporary opportunities can be a huge um, opportunity to kind of step outside step up usually that's a place where you can get that next step up especially if you're in within an organization i know in government of saskatchewan um, a lot of times if there's a temporary role somebody who maybe wouldn't be quite ready for that role permanently there's a a real interest in giving that person a chance to just try it out um, so i think temporary opportunities can be a, a really powerful way to sort of launch your career in a new direction but obviously they have some some risk associated so if you can find those opportunities within the organization that you're in already it can help uh, mitigate some of that risk too i think Um, thank you so much, um, Catherine and um, Emeka, for everything you've spoken about today. Okay, my own question is just um, about something I've noticed. Um, a lot of people that are highly skilled, especially the immigrants when they come in here, um, most of the time, you know, people talk about accent. And um, unfortunately, it's something I've actually noticed because it, it happened to me. 
um, when they come in here, no matter how skilled you are, they will say you have, um, for example, even if you speak to your career advisor, they always want you to start with um, survivor jobs. So most of the time, people that are highly skilled when they come into this part of the world, um, most of the, um, how I say it, the work they get is centered around customer service and sales. So no matter how skilled you are, they see your resume, they, they, you go for interviews, um, you're doing very well in the interview. The last stage, you just hear, like it happened to a colleague of mine, they will just say um, your accent. But unfortunately, when you get to this customer service or sales, the accent they are talking about, you'll be the best in the whole thing. You get awards, you know. Someone like me, spe spe specifically, the job I eventually got, right, it was like a foot into the door. I did customer service sales for almost four years, and I transitioned into a management role in engineering recently. But I just want to know, why do you have to start low? when they know that you are kind of tenable. They will always tell you a foot to the door. You do customer service for four years, eventually you get a management position from being a sales to a manager. So that's just why I want to know, why do we have to go through this? Thank you. Did I hear you clearly, they talk about accent. Yes. I know no human being on this earth that doesn't have an accent. If, if, an organization, if an organization makes that an issue, you should not want to work with the organization. And that's where I will start from. They, they are not worth your energy, your skill set, or your time. So once they say that, just let them know, thank you, this is not the kind of culture I'm looking for. Because any good organization understands the power in diversity. And I, I don't want people to be discouraged. Look, we talk about these jobs, and I, I do, you know, I, I start by saying whatever your hands find, it doesn't mean that you should be afraid to apply for big opportunities. Part of the reason we are here is that we, like, that's why I say she started as a dancer and learned something through that that she used and she, you know, I started like a, I, I started like, I was a student. That's how I started. I came here as a student on a visa, right? First job I had was to sell you know, use books. I can even work outside. Then we're not allowed to work outside campus. There are very few jobs on campus. So anytime I could make some money because they had like a three-day sales of old books and everything, I, I went there and I put an application and I got the job. I was so happy. I was doing it with all my heart, right? My first job was temporary. But I've applied for opportunities that speak to what I could do. And I don't want you to be held back. There are lots of good companies in the world we are today, actually after COVID, one thing we all learned is that we are no longer hindered by technology. We are no longer hindered by, by boundaries. Technology has broken some of those boundaries down. So please don't be discouraged. And I leave you with this. Catherine said something about you know the, the lady at the coffee shop, or I talked about me being ready to go to Sobeys. And you know, it's the same mentality. I don't know if you've heard this story before. When I think it was John F. Kennedy, when he went to NASA, and there was a there was a um, guy cleaning the floor, right? Um, and, and he asked the guy, you know, what, 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 do, you do, what do you do here at, at NASA? He says, I'm helping put a man on the moon. Right? Th that is the mentality. It is a difference. He didn't say I was a janitor. He says, I'm helping put a man on the moon. Because as a team, we're all working together towards that goal and that purpose. But that is the mentality 
that you take into a workplace, the confidence that you take into an interview. I've sat down in an interview where I knew nothing about, you can ask my wife, go and look at my, go and look at my LinkedIn. I have moved through organizations. What did I know about those organizations? Some of them, the jobs, I had zero knowledge of them. But when I got to that interview, and that's why the way you approach your application, you need to be very strategic. You need to be honest about, and you need to show where you've added value and how that value can translate to that job. Many of us don't do that. We write resumes very academically. We go for interviews. They ask you what is project management. You give an academic answer. That is why we don't get the jobs at times. I've seen this because I've sat down in interviews. We have had very brilliant people that know the stuff, but they speak academically. And then you have somebody that doesn't have as much experience. They come in and they show you what they have done and what they can do for your company. There is no way you can't give them the job. But just, want you to just, just a few things I want you to take as we, I know we are, time is up, so um, we're running up, but I just wanted to add um, some of those pieces. Very final question, very final, time's up. Thank you so much. I'll um, make it quick, please. It, it kind of adds to what you just said um, about um, how to be strategic about um, applying for jobs. And I think Catherine also mentioned it earlier about the red threads. How do you know what thread to pull? And how can I maybe find out about maybe some education that I need to add to be able to actually qualify for a certain job or a certain skill. I feel like there is an art to knowing the right threads to pull and also knowing the right um, courses to take, um, trainings to take to actually put you on the right track um, in your career. So how do we navigate this? Please, thank you. All right, I'll take that one, I guess. I saw you put your mic down. That was a very clear signal. Um, you know, uh, so, Knowing what red threads to pull, I, I think that comes down to, you know, my comments about what is a red thread. It's the things that pull your interest, where you lose track of time. And I think those are there for a darn good reason. And you know who put them there. It wasn't you. So you got to follow those because that, that is your pull to your calling. So I, I wouldn't when you find, when you feel the red thread, don't worry about, is this the right one or is this not? Just be courageous and take a little step. Doesn't have to be a huge leap, but you know, so if there's a thing that piques your interest, you know, then go ahead and invest in a short course or even just watch a bunch of YouTube videos to learn more, you know? But I, I think, I wouldn't overthink the red thread thing. I do, uh, I am a lifelong learner as well. I'm constantly adding to my kind of basket of tricks, if you will. Um, and I, I think, you know, as you move through your professional career, I can't think of any, you know, real legitimate training out there that won't help you in your career, whether it's a project management course or some kind of personal development on building resilience or communication courses or something. So, you know, I, I understand you can't do it all. And I think that's where the red threads come in because those are hints to your unique 
gifts and talents and why you're here, which is different than everybody else. So I think it comes down to, to trusting your intuition and your guidance. I guess um, that's it. Thank you so much, Catherine. And thank you, uh, Dr. Maker, for your time. We've um, been blessed with the, your responses to some of the questions. We still have more, though. And, um, I, I'm here for you guys tonight. So I don't know about Catherine, but. I, I, I'm happy to, uh, I know Catherine has a family, so to get to, but I want to be very respectful of that. So, yeah, five minutes, so I want to be very respectful of our time as well. So I'll let Catherine maybe start with, with that, so. Okay, um, politics, how does one get involved from the basis? How does one get involved in politics? Yes. Well, I, I don't think there's one full, uh, complete answer for that, but I can speak to my, my personal journey on that. So um, we were having a little chat uh, in the, the front room there about this. A lot about getting involved in politics is timing. Um, and as you probably all know, getting, uh, taking that step into politics is something that can quickly overwhelm your whole life. So. Those, when those doors open and the timing is right, I think you just know in your gut, in your heart, you know it's time. Um, making the decision to go in that direction has so much to do with your network. Here we are back to network. Um, because there's no way you can have a successful um, campaign without a heck of a lot of people around you supporting you. Um, and so I think that is the, the biggest challenge for me um, when I made the decision to step forward was actually learning how to ask for help. I realized how bad I am at that and how um, actually I learned a lot about myself through that journey and one of them was, um, so maybe I'll take a little step back. The, the, thing that I did was run for a conservative nomination. I live uh, just outside of Regina, um, and our long-serving MP had decided to step down. And so I put my name forward to run for the conservative nomination. And uh, it was long. It was about a four-month period, which is pretty long campaigning period uh, around here anyway. And partway through, and I was working full time and had the kids and all that, but I'm, I'm pretty tough and I can push through a lot. And partway through, I was so exhausted. I felt depleted and I didn't know what was wrong because I knew it wasn't a physical thing. And then I realized it's because I had been asking people to do things for me for the last, at that point, two months. Instead of in my usual operating environment, I'm always asking, what can I do for you? How can I serve you? How can I help you? And so I was so outside of my norm because I was asking people to help on my campaign. Thank you for helping. I was asking for people to donate. I was asked. So that was a huge realization for me. And so I think anyone 
considering going into politics, so I did it because I wanted to make a difference. I thought that I could, you know, as a woman in rural Saskatchewan, that I could make a difference in Ottawa. I speak a bit of French too. I thought I had a pretty good shot at, if I ever got there, of, you know, maybe holding a, a cabinet or a shadow cabinet position one day. Um, so I wanted to make the difference, but man, I didn't realize how much you have to ask for things. And so that was a, a huge realization for me. In the end, you know, I think I ran a very successful campaign. I was top of the first ballot and lost on the second by 18 votes. Um, and I'm glad that I lost because everything works out exactly the way it's supposed to and I'm thrilled about where I'm at. But um, it was a huge learning opportunity for me and it built my network in ways that never would have been built without that experience. And I've gained incredible respect. I already had respect for politicians, but now it's kind of up at that level, respect for what they do. Um, and I would say um, now I'm even more willing to help others out in that journey. So no one politician ever gets there on their own, that's for sure. It's a, a village. So. Um, just a quick one from your end as well. I know you run and um, you were not successful with it. Um, if you were to look back, there's always benefit of looking in insight and you can see things that you would typically do differently. Um, if you were to run again, what are the decisions you would make differently? This is going to sound crazy, but I'm going to tell you a story that my campaign manager said after the elections. Because you do that, that introspection after the, every election. And he said, you know what? Mecca, if we were to do this all over again, the one thing that would change would be the color of my socks on the day you announced. <laughs> that was his response. That was his, yeah, we did that. And he said, that was it. And not because we won, of course, we didn't win. You know, we came third. We announced, you know, pretty early in the campaign. We knew that nobody goes, and I know Catherine will share this sentiment, nobody goes into politics hoping to lose. You're going because you believe you can win. Except if you're delusional, you know. But really, majority of people that run for office want to make a change and believe that they can truly win. And you do that calculation. And we, we started that campaign believing we could win, but we had another candidate that got into the campaign after we got into the campaign, and we both split the votes. When you added our votes, the person that won didn't get as much as we got together. So we knew that we are, unfortunately, catering to the same audience or people that believe in the same things, right? So there was nothing we could have done. Right to, and people have already, you've spent time running a campaign, people believe in you, donated to you, you can't just drop out. You know what I'm saying? You're already there, you're on the ballot, you, you can't drop out. People are actually saying, Mecca, do not drop out. <laughs> we, got, we got emails saying, you can't drop out. So we saw it to the end, and when we ran a campaign that we were fully proud of, like Catherine said, it, you know, for me was, I, I mentioned this to Catherine when we were waiting, um, you know, in, in the pastor's office, that it was, the greatest leadership development um, training or experience that I had, and, and I'm very grateful for that. 
Awesome. So, Catherine, I know you said you had five minutes. Um, we're going to let you go. Um, yeah, we want to let you go because we're still going to do some wrap-ups and all that. Um, and um, there, we do have a little package for you. One of the team members will help take that to your car. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you very much. I have, uh, my son is here from Saskatoon. It's reading week and he's in first year engineering and he's, as you can imagine, exhausted. Um, and I'm trying to soak up every moment I can with him while he's here. So thank you for involving me and including me today. It's been an honor. Thank you for being here. So thank you. Okay. All right, so we needed to just let Catherine go because of um, her engagement. Um, and I'm sorry, I have to go too because my family and I are actually on our way out of Regina to Swift Current tonight. Family, work-life balance, all right. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> thank you so much, uh, Mecca, you know, um, for, for being here. I don't know, there's, there's no other question, right? Any other questions that we have? How can people reach you? Are people allowed to reach you if maybe they want to have further engagements with you, Absolutely. learn from you and mentorship? So how can they reach you? And that's one thing I wanted to ask uh, um, very quickly before. I'm on LinkedIn. Go to LinkedIn, Mecca Okachi. Connect with me. I, you know, I, I accept people because I, I really believe in, um, in connecting. And I, like I said, I, I've been there. You know, so I, I do understand, and I anything I can do to to support, you know, I, I do right. I'm unashamedly supportive, you know, of um, of that common history that we have, you know, and that's that experience. So please do do reach out. Um, I've, many people that have come into this country I've never met before. We've connected on LinkedIn, um, you know. So yeah, and this conversation can continue beyond. Um, beyond the walls of this, um, of this sanctuary. So thank you very much for having me tonight. Pleasure. So before I hand it over to my co-anchor, Mr. Motoru, to, I guess, maybe wrap this up. Um, I just want to share with someone something that, you know, there's a lot of question around the whole Canadian experience. This is a tip, all right? Free tip. Okay. When they ask you that question, rather than stutter or worry about whether or not you have the experience, here's a good way to answer. Tell them, ask them, what do you really want? Do you want Canadian experience? Or do you want international perspective? All right, fresh eyes, fresh perspective. I am a global candidate, all right? I'm not just bringing you Canadian experience, but I can learn, but also bring you some international perspective. 
when you reframe that response in that manner, it helps your confidence, but it also helps them see the value that you bring. So let's not get too stuck up in that Canadian experience. It's more of a mindset issue, and I think that we can fix that. From everything we've learned tonight, be courageous, put yourself out there. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Build networks, be strategic in your applications. And um, above all, something Mecca, uh, Dr. Mecca said was that the leverage that you and I have is a leverage that is beyond the human understanding and wisdom. And that leverage is a leverage that will take a slave person in a foreign country from being a prisoner to bring, being a prime minister. You and I didn't even come here as slaves, which means that we're even starting on a higher pedestal than Joseph did. So think about that. God bless you. It's been a pleasure anchoring with you, sir. Uh, thank you. We hope you were blessed by that teaching. For further inquiries, please visit our website, www.rccgppp.org. You can also check us on Facebook and on YouTube at rccgpppsk, on Instagram and Twitter at rccgppp. If you are within the city of Regina, Canada, you can join us in person at 1771 Bond Street, S4N, 1X7 for a refreshing time in God's presence.